At this moment, we are two sermons away from being finished with Galatians. Okay? We've got one more after this week. Two sermons uh, to finish the book of Galatians. Today we're going to talk about boasting in the gospel. You know, there are a lot of things in this world that uh, try to compete, to grip our attention uh, these days that we live in. Uh, uh, things that we're willing to commit our, our time and our energy and our, our money and our strength to. You know, one of the things that um, uh, one of my uh, newer passions, I guess, has been to to play the guitar. And I'm glad that Anne's out of the sanctuary because she doesn't know how much I've spent on lessons and on guitars. And, you know, it's probably good that way. Uh, we do that, don't we? we? We love to commit to something and to, to go all in. You know, uh, golfers are particularly known for that handicap, that, that malady of, of making time and commitments and, and uh, expenses and that kind of thing. Um, hunters don't do that at all, okay? <laughs> just going to say, just going to say. There are lots of things that, thrive, that strive to, to gain our attention. You know, I'm passionate about hunting. I'm passionate about playing guitar. Well, you know, there's one thing that we all ought to be passionate about as believers. We ought to have one passion above every other passion in our life, one focus, if you will, that's central to every other focus in life. It's simply the glory of God. Easy to say, maybe harder to live out, don't you think? Christ ought to be the very heart of our existence. He, he's, he ought to be the foundation of everything that we hope for. He ought to be the one who drives and who dictates and who leads and guides and directs us. Paul's writing, and, and in the ESV uh, version, uh, he's in ver from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. There's a, there's a heading here. It says, final warnings and benediction. I think they missed that. You know, the, the, the heading there uh, in my ESV, those headings are not uh, Scripture. They are man-made. This is more than a warning. This, this is like Paul taking his parting shot and wanting to be so certain that you didn't miss the message that he, he yells it at us. And so this morning, I want us to hear Paul's parting shot, if you will, his last words to us as he closes, his last words to the Galatian church as he closes this book off for us this morning. Let's read the text. Let me pray and then we will dive into it in just a moment. This is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God. It's good for faith and practice. It is for us today. It is the place we need to be. Paul writes under the Spirit, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. 
But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor accounts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. And we'll stop there. I know I left off the 15th verse there and we're not going to really touch that this morning but it, it flows with this part of the text. Let's pray. Father God, I ask you this morning to give me the ability to communicate the truths of this passage to your people. May we dwell richly in the words of Jesus as the Holy Spirit gave them to the Apostle Paul. Help us to see all that is here and help us, Father, to live a life that puts you at the center, that puts you in the, in, as a central focus of all that we do. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this final section that we're going to look at this morning, these closing uh, words of the Apostle Paul, you know, I've, I've, uh, my outline point is, and finally, you know, when you hear a preacher uh, and he's preaching or, or a lecturer or someone else and they would finally say, and finally, you're like, oh, good. <laughs> We're going to get out of here anytime soon. So I'm not letting you out yet, okay? Paul says, you know, I want you to hear these last words because they're important. In the scope of just these few verses at the end of this letter, Paul reinforces the argument that he's made, the central argument, um, in the book of Galatians, he, he basically, he, he's, he's, he's underscoring it, he's, he's pretty, putting it out there so that we will hear it. And, and arguably, it's found in verse 14. Look at, look at verse 14 carefully. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus. This little letter this little six chapter letter that we've been studying is summed up in that fraction that portion of verse 14 it is that we boast in the cross of jesus christ only actually christ alone is one of the five solas isn't it it's one of the Reformation principles. It's one of the things that, that brought the gospel back to the church in the uh, 15th century. It is Christ alone in whom we glory. This little letter is just a call to boast in Jesus. I want you to think about that this morning. You know, most of us who have been acquainted with Christianity... You know, we think about the cross, and, and, and sometimes it's on the wall in their, you know, church, and, or we've got one out in the lawn in the front here. And it's the symbol of Christianity. Some of you uh, may be wearing a cross around your neck, and, and it's a symbol of your faith and of Christianity and, and what we believe. But have you really thought about what that symbol really is? Have you thought about what that cross really represents? You know, it... it it's worth reminding ourselves of the shame and the disgrace associated with that ancient method of execution. Paul says he boasts in the shame and the disgrace and humiliation of Jesus dying on the tree. When you strip, strip away all of our religious sentimentality that surrounds that symbol... 
it's really a weapon of torture. It's really a, a, a weapon of, of humiliation and intimidation. The cross was the guillotine. The cross was the firing squad. The cross was the electric chair of the ancient world. Think about changing the word a little bit. What, what would it have been like if, if Paul had said, I boast, far be it to me to boast in anything except for the guillotine of Christ alone. I mean, would we hang little guillotines around our necks? Can you picture that? Think about what that cross really represents. What does it mean? We don't typically encourage boasting either, do we? In fact, when you think about verse 14 for a minute, and when you really think about it deeply, you think, we're boasting, number one, that's not something we encourage. And secondly, actually, we do boast all the time. I'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but boasting, and, and, and boasting in an in a, in a implement of torture, and, and execution? Paul says that's the one thing that he wants to boast in? You know, that's like saying, I'm thrilled about the electric chair. I, 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 the guillotine's great. That's, that's just not something we do. Boasting. Think about boasting. Boasting is how we verbalize our confidence, okay? I want to take this verse apart for you this morning and, and reconstruct it if I can. <laughs> We, when we boast, we, we talk about our, it's how we make our hope audible, how, how we make, help other people hear our hope. It's hope you can hear, okay? And that's, that's what I've said here on the outline slide there. Boasting is hope you can hear. Nobody can peer into your soul and, and see the source of your confidence, to see the, the root of your joy in your life, the object of your hope. We have to verbalize that in some way. And so they can hear you when you talk about the things that you boast in, the things that you love, the things that get you excited, the things that you want to celebrate, that you want to commend. In that sense, we all boast all the time, don't we? I mean, let's be, let's be honest. I love my truck. Man, my truck has got a Hemi in it, four-wheel drive. It's an outdoor package. It's perfect for me. It's got the steel plates underneath. It's got the heavy-duty alternator in it. it man, I, I love my truck. We boast in stuff all the time. We just can't help ourselves. That pair of shoes, I saw this pair of shoes and I just had to have them. Well, they were, they, they just felt so good on my feet and, and look how beautiful they make my legs look and all of the, we boast in stuff. My financial advisor is the greatest guy you have ever met. Why, I got a 25% return on this investment and you need to sign up with this guy. That computer sitting behind my desk, let me tell you, that sucker is lightning fast. You can hardly click on the thing before it's on the screen. We boast in stuff all the time. Sometimes we boast in ourselves too. We boast in our confidence about our future, uh, whether it's near or distant or whatever, or some quality we possess, or whether that's real or imagined to either one, you know? We, we, we boast. So it's against that background against thinking about boasting and thinking about that implement of execution that I want to look at Paul's claim about himself and about Christians by implication that we ought to boast in one thing, the cross. That we ought to boast in the cross of Christ. 
Christ. For the apostle, it means that we are to see the cross as the source of every good in life and in death. The cross is the source of everything that's good. We ought to put zero confidence in anything else because the cross alone secures our eternal confidence before God. It is the cross that ought to be central to our lives. So to drive that home to the Galatians, and I kind of wish our translators had taken Paul's words literally, and that they had given us these words in verse 11 in larger type or something, you know? just to make them stand off the page a little bit. Because I think that's what Paul's doing here. You know, Paul finishes his letter out with this summary statement that he boasts in the cross alone, and, and, and he doesn't want us to overlook it. And so he takes the pen away from his amanuensis. The amanuensis was, was a scribe, was someone who would take dictation, who would take his letters down. It, it's like, uh, uh, hey Siri, to us today, you know? You, you, just, you just go, hey Siri, and you tell her what you want, you know, and it happens. It, it, it works in my house that way, right? All the time. Actually, sometimes Siri does things that I don't understand, that I didn't ask for, you know, and sometimes that scares me. I, I'm afraid to get one of those Echo Dots, too, by the way, because I just don't want that thing listening to me all the time. I, we have one on our TV back in the back in the bedroom, and, um, you know, I'm just afraid of what it's learning about us. I, I don't know. <laughs> but Paul wants us to get it. And so he writes in his own hand with large letters. Now, some scholars have suggested that maybe the reason Paul was, was writing with uh, large letters was because of his eye disease that was alluded to in Galatians 4.15. And that may be the case. That, that may be true. But I tend to think, after studying the text and, and after really praying about this and thinking through it, I really think Paul, maybe Paul did have eye disease and maybe he did need to write with a large hand, but he deliberately picked up the pen here, not only to authenticate that this was Paul's letter, that Paul was writing this letter, and that anything else that got added to it wasn't his. I, I think that he was doing that to authenticate but I think he wrote in big letters to emphasize. It's just like when you text somebody. If you text somebody in all caps, you're shouting at them, right? And most of the time we consider that rude, unless it's something really important or something really, you know. They didn't have computers and, and uh, typefaces. and uh, I mean, how many fonts do you have in your computer right now? Just think about it. They couldn't change the emphasis. Look at, look at my sermon notes. They couldn't highlight. They didn't have highlighters. They didn't underline. They didn't capitalize. They didn't make things bold. They didn't italicize. I do those things so that I can catch the idea, so that I can remember key words and thoughts and that kind of thing. I need the emphasis. Paul writes with large letters to emphasize what he has to say to emphasize that the cross is the only place that we need to glory. Don't miss this. I write this in large print. Don't fall asleep here, guys, is what Paul is saying to us. 
Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's it. There's no other gospel. The cross of Christ through which my relationship to the world and the world's relationship to me has been irrevocably put to death by ignominious death and it's accomplished by grace alone. It's based on God's finished work in the cross of Jesus Christ. And it not only began then, it continues day to day in your life. It's something that ought to be daily part of who we are. That's Paul's passionate answer to anybody who would oppose him or to anyone who would encourage him. It's all to the glory of God. It's all to the glory of Jesus. Well, so look at the text. Let's, let's, keep, let's focus on the text here. The summary at the end of Galatians begins with this kind of a problem statement if you look at verse 12. So see what large letters I'm writing with. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. That explains why Paul wrote to the Galatians in the first place. You know what was happening? Some Jewish Christian missionaries came to the area of Galatia, to the region of Galatia, and they had followed Paul around behind uh, his efforts at evangelism, his efforts at church planning, his, his sharing the gospel and reaching people for Christ. And these missionaries um, would follow up on Paul's evangelism. And, and um, they, they're missionaries that we have termed, that Paul has termed Judaizers. They probably came from Jerusalem uh, and they came to work with these new believers. They claimed to believe the good news of Jesus Christ, that they taught about the cross, they taught about the empty tomb, they taught about the resurrection, the crucifixion. That, but there was one thing, one thing that these teachers wanted to add to Paul's gospel. It's like, well, Paul did the work of evangelism here, and he's led you to faith in Jesus, you Gentile believers, and you're trusting in Jesus, but there's just one more thing that we need to add to that. He didn't tell you the, the whole story because he was communicating these other truths. And so they've summarized their program in the following slogan. And this comes directly out of Acts chapter 15. This comes from uh, verse 1 of Acts 15. Unless, this is what they taught, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what they were teaching. So, so it's, it's you need to trust in Jesus. You need to put your faith in the resurrected Christ. He did come back from the dead. He did rise. He was ascended. He did ascend. He, but on top of that, you need to have the sign of the covenant applied to you. These teachers wanted to add the Jewish rite of circumcision. In the Old Testament, God had commanded that his people would remove every male foreskin as a sign of belonging to the covenant. That started in Genesis 17. These Judaizers said that circumcision is still a part or still a prerequisite for our salvation you've got to receive the sign of the covenant and they summarize their program with that, those kind of words 
the cross plus circumcision. Hey, look, we wouldn't buy that today, would we? I mean, really. But we do the same thing, or some do the same thing in another way. It's the cross plus something. There are those who teach that we're not saved unless we've been baptized. It's called the teaching of baptismal regeneration. You can't be a Christian unless you receive baptism. There's a continual temptation for the church to turn the gospel into the cross plus something. That something else is either a deed or a duty or a sacrament or a social cause. And, and the problem is always the plus. In Christ alone, in faith alone, by grace alone, are we saved? Think about it. For the gospel to be the gospel, the cross has to stand alone. The Judaizers believed that circumcision was necessary, and so they wanted to circumcise as many as they could. Their hearts were, I don't know that their hearts were wicked. I, I, don't, I don't, maybe they were. But they wanted to add something to the gospel. They pressured the Gentile Christians there to be circumcised. And, and it, the problem was their pressuring of, of them to be circumcised. I mean, they were demanding that they do that in order to be saved. They added to the gospel. Folks, we need to be careful about that. Sometimes we have expectations too. We add to the gospel in our own maybe less overt ways. The Judaizers really thought they were doing God's work, I believe. I believe they did that with a passion because they thought they were doing what they should do. But the Apostle Paul, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, discerns their real motive. He sees underneath the plus, in other words. He sees why, what that does, what, what, what that corrupts, what that happens. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Look at verse 12 carefully. Look at what it says. Verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, catch the and, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They were trying to avoid persecution. So, these Judaizers are going to these Gentile converts. They are insisting on, per, on, on uh, having them circumcised so that there would not be persecution for these new converts. We usually think of persecution in the early church at, as being from the hands of the Romans, don't we? We usually think that persecution was because the Romans hated Christians and, and actually hated the Jews too and, and because of their... But you know who the first persecutors of, the, of, the, of Christians was? It was the Jewish people. It was the Jews. The Jews are the ones who stoned Stephen, aren't they? The, the, the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7 came and stoned Stephen. The first attacks were on the Jews. Paul himself, a good Jew, was dragging Christians out of their homes and having them killed. Acts 9. Some of the most severe persecution 
that Christians faced came from Christian people. It wasn't just the, the, the very Genesis opening days of the church and of Christianity. It was even after Paul had begun to plant churches, after Paul's conversion. As the church was planted in Asia Minor, Jewish persecution spread with it. It just was part and parcel of, of the gospel being, sh being shared. But there's one easy way to avoid that. One easy way to solve that problem, and it's to be circumcised. So the, the Jews were angry because the people were failing to maintain the proper boundaries between the clean and the unclean, between, between the Gentile and the Jew. Yet even the Gentiles were welcome if they would just agree to abide by God's covenant by circumcision. So these Jewish Christian missionaries following Paul in the Galatia found to their horror that Jewish Christians were mingling with Gentile Christians, uncircumcised Gentile Christians, and they were even eating with them. They were mixing together. And they were not, they had not received the sign of the covenant. And these visitors knew if that continued much longer, there'd be trouble from the authorities, from the local synagogue. There would be issues. And so they urged the Gentiles and the Galatian church to get circumcised as soon as they could. And this is a clear case of over-contextualizing the gospel of corrupting the gospel, of twisting the gospel, to add something to the gospel to make it culturally relevant to those that they were talking to. You know what? The gospel is something that is distinctive. It is about the cross of Christ. It is about the fact that there was one who died, who bore our sin, who took the, the agony that, that we should have endured upon himself to pay our price. Instead of simply putting the gospel in terms that the Galatians could understand, could explain to their Jewish neighbors, these Judaizers were changing the terms of salvation itself. That's what Paul is writing in big letters about to them and to us today. Hey, look, can't you honestly say you faced the temptation to avoid talking about the gospel because the cross has a way of inviting, maybe not persecution, but at least distaste, at least, at least rejection. Maybe, maybe someone who, who looks at you askance because you make a profession of faith, you share with them that they need a Savior, that they need forgiveness and grace. Look, People don't generally like being told that they're sinners and that they need a Savior. They don't generally like that. It's a hard message to carry. We're fearful to speak to family and to our friends because we might offend. And so we adapt. We need to stand up for Christ and for his cross. We need to give God the glory for our salvation. We need to not be shy about what Christ has done for us. We need to be clear about the gospel. Well, Paul goes on, though. I, 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 I want to continue with the text because our time will run out on me if I'm not careful here. He looks at 
he looks at the next section here. The next, next section of my outline is, is basically the idea of an empty boast. Look at verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. <laughs> Another reason the Judaizers urged the Galatians to get circumcised was not only because they wanted to avoid persecution, but they wanted to seem successful. Think about that for just a minute. They were hoping to make a good showing in the flesh. They desire, verse 13, to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So what does Paul mean? Apparently, the more foreskins they collected, the more impressed people would be back in Jerusalem. It's just that simple. I can, just, I can just see the Judaizers. You know, they're not really concerned about whether or not the Gentiles keep God's law. They just wanted to brag about how many converts they were making. Can't you see them sending their missionary newsletter back to the church in Jerusalem? Mission to Galatia, you know. 100 circumcised. Missionaries sometimes are tempted in the same way, aren't they? 42 baptized in 19, or 2019. How many baptisms did we record this year? How many new converts can we list on our list? How many? They're just keeping up appearances. Their ministry was all for show, Paul says. So... You know the question I hate when pastors get together? This happens every time we go to Presbytery, and I hate it. Well, how big is your church? Hey, look, I'm not embarrassed about the size of New Hope. In fact, we're, we're a decent-sized congregation. We're actually, we're above, average, we're above the national average in membership, by the way. I, the national average is under 100. Um, anyway... But I think the question's wrong. You know, I think the question's all wrong. Listen, when I served a large church, I hated that question then, too. Happened at Presbytery there, too. Happens at General Assembly every year. That's the, that's the one thing that I am certain will happen on Tuesday, the 21st of this month, is someone will ask me that question. And I always answer them by saying, you know, we're probably about 125 or so. I don't know what our exact number is. But you know what I think is most important is that we're growing. And then I'll go on and talk about the good things that God's doing there. That's my way to, to soften that answer. But I'll tell you what, in my gut, in my innermost being, I'm like, I hate that question. Why did you ask me that? And I'm not going to ask you unless we're talking about some kind of issue that requires that I know how many people are worshiping with you. I'm just not going to do it. I know. I'm picky. I'm weird. It's okay. Showing off is one of the differences, I think, between genuine, between real faith and, and false religion. False religion is all caught up in numbers and nickels and noise. You know that. How big was your giving this last year? You know, how many people? Yeah. It's important. We need to keep records. We have to turn in an annual statistical report 
to the General Assembly and to our presbytery every year. I think that's good. I think it's right. I think it's appropriate. It's not that I don't want to count. I don't want to know. I think it is a way to measure growth, but it's not the only way, and it's not the most important way. Churches that try to entertain instead of edify are the kind of churches that pressure their members to recruit new converts so that they can uh, grow their ministry and have more prestige and more fame. That's not what we're about. That's not who New Hope is. We're about the gospel. We're about promoting the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what I long for. When I urge you to share your faith, it's not because... I want New Hope to grow. Don't get me wrong. I I pray that New Hope will grow. But I pray we'll grow through conversion growth. Through touching new lives with with the cross of Jesus. With the gospel. Letting the gospel change our hearts and our lives. These Judaizers, they were probably the worst. They were unwilling to endure persecution for the cause of Christ. They sought the glory in their own success. They didn't practice what they preached. They were trusting in circumcision rather than in the cross, and they were denying the free grace of the gospel. Paul writes with big letters to them. And I guess it is a warning like the ESV translators say it. Don't do that. But I think it's more than just a warning. I think we're to boast only in the cross. I want you to look down at your Bibles one more time. Look at verse 14, and I I want to take a second and reread verse 14 carefully. What does Paul say in verse 14? He says, and, and hear the words carefully, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Okay. You English majors... What tense is that in? What voice is that in? Past tense. You got it? Past tense. What else? Passive voice. Now what is, okay, we're having English class here. This is English 101. What does past tense, passive voice really mean to you? What what does that mean? Why, Why is that important? Paul is telling us about something that has already been finished on his behalf. He's telling us about something that took place in the past that he didn't personally have anything to do with. And that's what grace really is. Your salvation is past tense, passive voice. Christ saved you. You didn't bring anything to the table. You don't merit it. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's all about grace. Only the gospel is radical enough to save. It alone says that the old Adam can't be rehabilitated. He must be put to death. We've got to live radically different lives. A new humanity uh, can't arise from Adam's loins. We are all Adam's descendants, but but new humanity will not come from that. It comes from the second Adam. It comes from being born again. The second birth, the new birth, genuine conversion, true redemption, 
truly being adopted as Christ's sons and daughters. If there's going to be a new humanity, it's raised up through a new Adam, through the second Adam, through Jesus and the life-giving spirit. That whole idea here in verse 14 has some important consequences that I just want to underscore for you. Listen to what the consequences are that I see here. The cross means that Jesus isn't here to improve you. Now, Jesus living in your life and in your heart ought to bring improvement in your life and in your heart, but that's not the purpose. The Messiah is not a psycho-spiritual counselor whose good advice will help you uh, do better. Okay? He's not going to lead you to a new utopia. He's, he's only the captain of your ship. That's all he will be. He will not be a counselor or an advisor. He is captain. He's Lord. He's king. He's high priest. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's in charge. The cross, I think, secondly implies that, that you can't improve yourself by your own means. Okay? You know, diets, hey, this is the time of the year that all the diet plans are advertising, okay? Being a fat guy, I understand that. Okay? I see those things, you know? Um, Diets, potions, pills, exercise regimes, surgical options, whatever they might be. They can't generate a new you. I don't care what they advertise on TV. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Only the Spirit gives new birth. Only the Spirit directs our gaze from ourselves to the Son who was lifted up like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. You see, the Son of God didn't leave you a book of rules to follow. He didn't leave you some kind of, of self-help guide for your redemption. Oh, he left you the commandments. He left you the truths of the scripture. But that's not going to redeem you. It is faith in Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. By grace alone. Through scripture alone, by the way. To the glory of God alone. Third thing, the cross isn't just a heroic action for you to imitate as if all you needed was a motivation to be self-sacrificing. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross. I'm going to sacrifice myself for the world or for others or for the cause of whatever. God sent his son of the world to do something specific, to save us from the penalty of our sin. If our problem was something else, the law probably could have sorted that out. The cross humbles us by telling us that we're the problem. Really. It, it confronts not us not just with our attitudes and actions, but with the things that lie underneath those things. All that we'd rather not see about the, ourselves. The cross contradicts us at every turn. It negates all human religion and effort. And in contradicting us in that kind of way, what grace does is it becomes truly radical. It becomes our only hope of life, and, and, and it, becomes, it, becomes, it becomes all that we need. That's how God gets the glory. That's how Christ and the cross gets exalted in your life.
So this morning, I want to ask you one final question right now. And what do you boast? Who gets the glory? You know? Do you glory in the shameful, hideous cross that's accomplished salvation for you by grace? Or are you still trying to make it to heaven some other means? Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Great way to start the new year, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you this, this morning and I thank you that you have done it all. That it is amazing grace that we stand in. That we merit nothing, we bring nothing. We stand only in the glory of the cross. May we only find our glory in that cross. May we find our meaning there. Father, if there's anyone here today who has never come to that place in their lives where, where they understood before today, if they've never understood before what it meant to boast only in Christ, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that you would work grace in their hearts, and that they would experience what the Galatian Christians experienced in Paul's day, what we have experienced who are truly born again in this room that they would become part of the glorious body of Christ. And Father, that together we would live for your glory and for your praise and for your honor. Oh Lord, make 2020 a year that we revel in grace. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.